1: Dave, could you sing that worship song that you really love before you start (laughs) singing? He knows I can't sing. And I'm not gonna let him curse you by getting me to do that. Thank you, brother, thank you. What a wonderful worship team we have, don't we? Thank you, Pastor Will. Thank you, Kristen, thank you, your whole team. I feel this way often that they're preaching the sermon before we get up here. They pick it so perfectly. You have no idea how perfectly they pick the songs. And uh, I wish almost we could have another worship service right after following this. Once you hear the word and and receive what this passage has for you, if you could sing those songs again, they were great already. They would amaze you afterwards. Just a wonderful team. Uh, And it's a wonderful family here, isn't it? I hope you feel that. This is a this isn't just a place we go to have an event or a service or to see people sing and sit back in the dark. This is a place where family gathers. Uh, and, And I know that many of you are wishing you could be here, you're in your homes, you're gathering in a smaller family, and we long with you for the day you can be back and we can be back together as a family, all of us, here in this place. Don't you feel that? And I know you feel that at home. And there's a sense of the presence of God that comes when we're all together that you can't manufacture and you can't translate through a lens. Um, he's there with you in your living room he is and I know many have pre-existing conditions or family members with that or uh, in vulnerable populations I have complete understanding but I'm just longing and praying for the day when the church of God can gather again as a whole family and sense what God wants to do when we're all together it's an amazing thing uh, an amazing thing My family uh, is watching, and they're worshiping from a distance. You know, we live in Indiana, and I love them uh, to death. You just don't even know. I can't put words to how I feel about my family. Uh, And maybe you have uh, uh, stories in your family that you love to tell, do you? Uh, Some of them are really celebratory stories, and you laugh and you smile, and then there's those other stories, you know? And in every family, usually there's the story the kid wants to tell on their parents, you know, that the parents wish the kid wouldn't tell. No, don't say that one. No, don't share that one. You have those? Am I the only one? Uh, I can't share all of those stories that my kids would love to tell on me, but I can share one today. I do have time to share one. It was a few uh, Thanksgivings ago, two or three, I can't remember, or four. Uh, I really don't know quite how long ago it was, a few years. Uh, We were at a Thanksgiving service on Thanksgiving Day Uh, My father-in-law had planted a church, he'd had it for a few years and he loves doing that. I know you don't do that here, but he he loves to have a a service on the day of Thanksgiving to give thanks to God in the church like 10 in the morning, something like that. I had a small part to play in the service, I played my part, service was done. Uh, My wife's family, they have five kids in the family, all of them married, they have biological and adopted kids, it's a big crew, It's it's a lot of fun. Uh, And all of the the kids were there and all of the grandkids were there, so all of the cousins were there. Now, if you're a pastor's kid, sometimes you treat the church like your playground, you know, because you're there longer than some people. And in the nursery, then there's new toys to play with that you don't always have at home. So all the kids, the cousins, while the, the ministry was going on, while the conversations were going on, they were treated to the nursery, played with the toys. Uh, and since it was a little chaotic down there, all the people had left now. All the, the other families had gone. They're closing down the church, locking the doors. And, and uh, Holly's mother and, and, and Holly walked down in there and heard the chaos in the nursery and said, Let's just leave it here for a little while. Let's get dinner together. So they left me and my brother in law Adam there to watch the kids and bring them home at the right time for Thanksgiving dinner. Kids are playing, kids are having a good time, texting back and forth. Is it time yet? Is it time yet? No. We're getting about what they think might be 30 minutes away from dinner. I said, all right, kids, in a minute, we're going to pack everything up. We're going to go one minute. And I gave them five. You know how kids are. You give them one and it feels, you say one, it's it's really five for them. And five minutes feels like one. So five minutes later, said, let's go wrap it up, turn off the lights, pack away the toys. Let's be respectful of the people who have to clean the church. Let's not make them do extra work. Let's go, let's go. So we get them all packed up. Adam walks around the room. He does the same thing. We turn off the lights. We get into the car. I turn around in the van and I say, is everybody here? I think we had four cousins, I don't know, and Adam and me, that were left on that last wave. They'd sent another car back and got some of them. Is everybody here? Everybody's here. Is everybody buckled up? Everybody's buckled up. Well, let's go. We take off. We get home. Holly tells me when we walk in, dinner's going to be a little later than we thought. And of course, it's Thanksgiving. It's always that way, right? And then she said, get out. I came in to try to help and she said, you know, there's too many women in the kitchen. Too many people already doing stuff. Get out. We got this. So I went downstairs to play a game with Holly's father, a game we love to play that we are addicted to and that we get engrossed in and we don't pay attention to anything else. Half an hour later, Holly calls down. Dave, have you seen Zoe? I say, no, I haven't seen Zoe. Go back to the game. Five minutes later, she calls down. You sure you haven't seen Zoe? I said, no, I haven't seen Zoe. Has anybody seen Zoe? Nobody answers. I keep playing my game. Ten more minutes later, she walks down the stairs, taps me on the shoulder, waits until I look her in the eye, turn away from the game. Did you bring Zoe home from church? I didn't respond. I just panicked. I didn't know Zoe was at church. I thought she'd already gone. I read her face. She read my face. My face read her face reading my face. Her face ran out the door. My face ran out the door. Aunt Mandy grabbed her purse and jumped in the car with us to be the immediate counselor for the poor child who was abandoned in the dark and locked doors of a church. We drove as fast as we could. We got over there. got down to the basement where she probably was. Opened the door. And there in the dark, sitting in a little chair... Facing the glass door that she would hope would open at some point was Zoe, still but trembling and tears flowing down her cheeks. She'd been in that church 45 minutes, at least alone, in the dark, maybe 11 years old. She was near a phone, but she didn't know how to dial out. You know how you have to dial nine in a multiple phone setting? She's 11. She doesn't know to dial nine. She tried to call us, couldn't get through told me later that there was a chair there that looked, the back of it looked like the head of a man and she kept staring at it, waiting for it to move. She said, I'm not moving. If that's not moving, I'm not moving. If it does move, and I don't know what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna stare it down. Scared, alone. You see, nobody likes to be forgotten. And before you judge me, you know you have these stories too. You just, I see that in your eyes. I see I see you and you. You know, all right. But nobody likes it to be forgotten. Nobody enjoys the feeling of being unseen, unnoticed. Do you? And I share all that because to me, I read this passage today that we're in, Luke chapter 2. If you have your Bibles, pull them out, turn to Luke. If you're at home, grab a Bible somewhere, turn to Luke. We'll have it on the screen as well, but it's good to read it yourself and see the context. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, about two-thirds way through your Bible, Luke. Luke chapter 2 is full of of forgotten people. It's a bunch of forgotten people, really, in a forgotten town. All of them, as I read it and think about it this year, in a new and fresh way, this Christmas season, this Advent season moving to Christmas, they're all forgotten. Now, trust me, we're going to read it here in a second. This is a familiar passage, but there's so much more (laughs) there than you've seen before. Luke chapter 2, let me read it to you. is born this day in the city of David. A Savior who is Christ the Lord. And that's who we've been singing about, yes? I don't know if you paid attention to that. That's what we've been singing. We're getting ready. He is coming, the Prince of Peace. He reigns. He is in dominion. Christ the Lord. And and this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths lying in a manger, a feeding trough for animals. Is that where you put your baby? And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go over to Bethlehem, see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. They went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told to them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told to them. Now that's part of the Christmas story. That's something we've heard every year, many of us, for a long time. Am I right? What I often say to Christians when you read a wonderful, familiar passage like this, one of the best ways to open up its new treasures is to ask a question you honestly don't know the answer to of that familiar passage. Find a question you don't know the answer to and look for the answer until you find it. Here's my question for you for this passage today. Why these shepherds? Why these hills? Why these shepherds? why these hills. The town of Bethlehem is situated in a bunch of rolling hills. I, mean, I, I know that you understand rolling hills and the difficulty of getting around in rolling hills and building in rolling hills. Um, but this little tiny town isn't just in a rolling uh, hill setting where it's very populated. Uh, an archaeologist uh, by the name of W.F. Albright, famous archaeologist, has studied all the towns in the, the, the time of the first century when Christ was born. This, this town was, as he says, looking at the archaeological records and archaeological finds of the town, was, was occupied by about 300 people total. 300 people total. In the whole town, I tried to find a town in Tennessee that is that size. It's kind of hard. Obviously, it's not Nashville. Obviously, it's not Brentwood. It's not uh, Antioch or Brentioch. It's it's you got to go farther. It's not Murfreesboro. It's not Clarksville. You got to keep going. There's a little town by the name of Bowman, Tennessee, with 302 people in it you got to look for Bowman, Tennessee. You're not going to stumble on Bowman, Tennessee. You've probably never heard of Bowman, Tennessee. Go put it in Google Maps sometime today. Just put in Bowman, Tennessee and turn on the satellite view and zoom into downtown Bowman right there where the pen drops. Can you imagine what's there in a town of 300 people? Downtown Bowman. You know what's there? A house and two fields. That's downtown Bowman. That's it. You go a little farther, you little tiny little Methodist church. That's about all there is. Why this town? Why these shepherds? I mean, is that how you would announce a king? Is that how you would make the announcement of a king coming into the world? Not just any king, the king of the cosmos, the king of all that is, the king of glory, the prince of peace, the only son of God, the living one who will reign for all times the one with fire in his eyes, the one with voice that sounds like thunder, the one with rolling waters when he whispers? Is that how you would announce a king? In a town of 300 people, why not Rome where power is seated? Why not the center of the power and might and wealth of the world? Why not Rome? Convince the people that need to be convinced. Show the powers that they're not powerful. Show them who they are. Why not Rome? Why not Jerusalem if you're not going to go to the pagan center of the world? Go to the spiritual center of the world. Go where the first king in our Tale of Two Kings, this series we're in, go where that first king, the one who was pointing to Christ, King David, had his palace. Why not Jerusalem? That's where kings reign in Israel. This is supposed to be the king of Israel. Why not show it there? Why Bethlehem? And, and if you're going to show it in Bethlehem, for goodness sakes, at least go to that house in two fields. Go downtown. Find the mayor. You know. Is there a mayor in Bethlehem? Find the sheriff, whatever. Why shepherds? Out in the field, and the word for fields, by the way, doesn't just mean a privately owned field. It means the wide open spaces, open to anybody. You could translate it this way. Shepherds were out in the wild at night, keeping watch over their flock. They're not even in Bowman, Tennessee. They're in the space on the map that has no name. In a forgotten space, with forgotten people. Nobody seeming to do nothing, going nowhere. Why announce a king there? Now when you answer a question, of Scripture, it should come, don't you think, from Scripture. And the text gives us a little clue. Sometimes it's the smallest words in a text that tell us something. You can circle the most important words and then ignore them. Underline the second most important words and then ignore them. Find the words you don't pay any attention to and all of a sudden something shows up. There's a little word. It only has two letters. It's the word of in the passage. It says in the announcement from the angels, for unto you is born this day in this city Of David, that first king. In the city of David, this is David's town. Not the town he reigned in, the town he came from. Not the town he was in his glory in, the town he began in, unknown. Not the town he was appointed king in. Remember the series? The town he was anointed king in. The little, tiny, nowhere town. That's what God is pointing to. And what was David doing while he was there? He was a shepherd. Now, in the Old Testament, when they want to prophesy someone is coming, often they would give what you call a shadow or a figure. It's like an outline. Think of a silhouette. If a bright light was shining on me and putting a shadow behind me, and then all you could see was the shadow, you'd see the outline of my shape. And so the Old Testament would try to give a shadow of something that was to come, a silhouette of something that was to come, an outline of something that was to come. The details weren't always, some of the details weren't what mattered. It was the shape, and God wanted to make sure we didn't miss the shape. The shape of David that he was pointing to was when David was unknown. The shape of David he was pointing to was when David was forgotten. The shape of David was not was when he was a glorious king surrounded by an army, but when he was a humble shepherd, a broken worshiper, a surrendered man. When God looked over all of the earth with his eyes and said, I need one. I need one who's wholly surrendered to me. Looked all over the world and said, where is one who worships me when no one's watching? Where is someone who does what I want when no one sees? Where is someone who's... Who glorifies me when no one else hears? He found David, a little shepherd boy, in a nowhere town around nobody's doing nothing that nobody would ever remember unless God named it right here. (laughs) Why these shepherds? Why these hills? It wasn't because these shepherds were powerful. It wasn't because these shepherds were rich. It wasn't because these shepherds were the sticky people that would spread it to culture in the right way. No. They had no qualifications but this. This is what amazes me about this text today. The shepherds had only one qualification. They were where they were supposed to be. Doing what they were supposed to be doing. That's it. That amazes me. They were where they were supposed to be, doing what they were supposed to be doing. And because of that, they got to witness the glory of God. An angel appears before them. The glory of God shines around them. perilampo the word is only used one other time in the New Testament. It's for Paul when he encounters the living presence of Jesus Christ himself. It knocks him off his ride, blinds him with his glory, stuns him with the presence of God. It's only one other time. And he shows up first with one angel because it's all they could handle. They fall on their faces. They're trembling with fear. They got to warm it up, you know. It's kind of a shocker. And then all of a sudden, the multitude, the words like a plethora. I don't even think you know what the word plethora means. Do you know what the word plethora means? A multitude, an immense number. So, not just one army. A multitude of armies, the armies of the armies of the armies of the armies, the millions of the heavenly hosts appear in the night sky. They flood the entire landscape with glory and with light. Hey, this is the first Christmas lights ever strung, and God strung them in the night sky. He strung the first Christmas lights over the hills of Bethlehem, and He broke the circuits of earth with the glory of heaven. <laughs> Lampoon's Christmas vacation, watch out, you haven't seen anything yet. For these shepherds, they saw the most immense display of the glory of heaven ever seen before or ever will be seen in the history of humanity in this moment because they were where they were supposed to be, doing what they were supposed to be doing. Are you where you're supposed to be? Are you doing what you're supposed to be doing? Here's the first main thing. If you're taking notes, write this down. If you're not taking notes, start. God wants to meet us in our faithful work. That's as simply as I know how to put it. God wants to meet us in our faithful work. This passage isn't just about shepherds. This passage isn't just about Bethlehem. This passage is about God Himself. This passage is about the character of God, the character of Christ coming to us. It teaches us something about Him. And this is one of the things it teaches us. God wants to meet us in our faithful work. But can we be honest? Sometimes our faith starts, our work starts losing its faith. Sometimes we're less than faithful. Sometimes our faithfulness begins to slip. Sometimes our faithfulness begins to diminish. Sometimes our faithfulness loses its edge. Okay, here's some symptoms. If maybe you don't know. I don't know, is that me? Here's some signs, uh, some symptoms your work is losing faith. I'll give them uh, some of them to you uh, quickly. Symptoms that you might be losing your faith at work. First, your boss is the one you're trying to please. You know, Scripture says, whatever your hands find to do, do it with all your might as working for the Lord, not for men. Who are you trying to please? Your boss may have standards that are too low. They may give you a quota, but that's not enough. Your boss may have standards that are too high. No matter how much you do, it's never good enough. Who are you trying to please? Who are you working for? You see, work is an act of worship. It's not that we come to Sunday morning and we worship and then we go back to work. No, 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 we come to Sunday morning to practice how to worship so we can worship all week long in the things that God has given us to do. Who are you trying to please? Second, you do things the fastest, easiest, cheapest way. We call that cutting quarters in the United States. You know, you're driving and you gotta take a turn. And you cut off the corner of it so you can get there faster. And every once in a while you get caught in it, right? Somebody pulls up to that stop sign, right? When you're trying to cut that corner and you have to swerve real quick. And you say, I'm sorry, sorry. And they honk at you and look at you like, what are you doing? Same thing I just did in the last street. But what are you doing? Cutting corners. It's a metaphor. Are you cutting corners with what God has given you to do? Are you losing some of the faith of it? Are you being less faithful? Or are you doing it well? My, My friend Pastor JT says, I don't do it slow, I do it right. Whatever time it takes to do it right, that's the time I'm going to take to do it. Is that how you do your work? Uh, Three, you let things drop you're supposed to carry. It's your job to carry them. It's your role to carry them. It's your space to care about them. But nobody else will notice. Maybe you've done enough today. Can't I just let that slip? Nobody's going to find out. Nobody's going to wonder. Nobody's going to question. I've done enough. Forget about it. Flip the table. Walk out of the room. Do you let things drop? It's yours to carry. Or maybe this, it's more emotional. You take more joy in freedom from work than freedom to work. I mean, if if COVID-19 should teach us anything, it's that work is a gift and it's a privilege. It's not a right. It's not something we can always have. Some of you I know are underemployed. Some of you I know have faced unemployment, and I know that's a difficult and terrible thing. But for those of us who have work to do, can we rejoice in it today? Isn't that a reason to rejoice and give glory to God? And thanks to God, thanks for giving my hands something to do. But do you take more joy in the freedom from work? Oh, goodness, it's Friday. (sighs) Or in the freedom to work. It's not wrong to want to rest. It's not wrong to feel the relief of that. But which do you take more joy in? Or how about this, perhaps on the emotional side, maybe it's even worse. You resent your job more than you rejoice in the results from your job. Everybody has things they don't want to do in their job. That's always going to be the case. Don't think you're going to find that perfect job one day that everything you do is something you love. Sometimes you just got to take out the trash. Somebody's got to do it. Why shouldn't it be me? I can take out the trash. Work is that way, right? Can we all agree? But when it starts to tip out of balance and resentment settles into our heart about our job and we grit our teeth about it, we groan about it, we're angry that we have to do it more than we rejoice in the good things that can come out of it. What we can do for the world, what we can do for our communities, what we can do for people, what we can contribute to society, how we can strengthen those around us, how we can glorify God with the work of our hands. Something's not right. Are you losing a little bit of your faith? With work, If you are, I want to try to give you what I think is a little bit of good news from the passage, how God can help us. It's this little thing. I don't know if you can see that, so I've got a bigger image for you. This is a contact lens off my bathroom counter at home. I know some, some of us don't have to use them, and that's another reason to rejoice in the Lord. But those of you who do, you understand this very well, right? Contact lenses, when your vision is uh, not exactly pristinely correct, The doctor can give you a prescription to correct your vision and when you put on that that contact lens it envelops your eye and you if things are going well almost forget it's there but it's the way you now see the world you don't look at your contact lenses you look through your contact lenses and your contact lenses change your perspective on everything that you see you can now see clearly But when we do not see clearly, we can injure our future, both physically and spiritually. When we can't see clearly, we bump into things. We walk into things. We think we can cut that corner, and then that corner cuts us. Do you understand what I'm saying? When we don't see clearly, we cut a corner, and that corner cuts us because we couldn't see what was heading our way. I want to challenge you to think about God's grace uh, in this way. God can graciously give you a continual awareness of his presence throughout every moment of your day so that the continual awareness of his presence becomes the contact lens through which you see the world. Through which you see your job, through which you see your boss, through which you see your coworkers, and your home and your family and your neighborhood. What was happening on the hills of Bethlehem was a peeling back of that layer that keeps invisible for us what is always present. The angels didn't just show up. They were there. They were revealed to the shepherds. The glory of heaven is shining all around us. God isn't out there. God is right here. The Spirit of God is filling this place. The Spirit of God wants to fill your heart and life. The presence of God wants to saturate the environment in which you live, and he wants you to be aware of it. And when you can be aware of it, it changes the way you see work. It changes the way you see people. It changes the way you see your family. When we don't see that way, we've got to reach to a different part of our bathroom counter. This right here is cover-up. For, for you men, that's makeup. Yeah, it's just makeup. And it's okay to know what makeup is. You don't have to use it. You just know what it is, all right? Leave me alone. Let's see that. Makeup. It's what you use to cover over a blemish or a former pimple or a scar that's unsightly or whatever. You just dab it and it blends into your skin. And if, if you work for L'Oreal, can I ask you to make a few more darker tones? Cocoa isn't dark enough. I'm just going to say that. It's a side note if you're out there. We would like a couple more shades. But most of these shades, they kind of go all the way from vanilla to caramel to chocolate, you know. So you can cover up something close to your skin tone to cover up the blemish. This is mercy. This is grace. Giving us what we couldn't earn. And a way of seeing before bad things happen. This is mercy. Not making us suffer all the consequences of what we did earn. Covering over some of the blemishes of our life. Uh, Maybe for you men, this is more familiar. The Tums jar. When your eyes saw something more than what your stomach could handle in the night, you end up with this. And there's a lot of elbow jabbing. I'm looking around the room. Sometimes if we don't see clearly what we need and what we can use, we end up paying a price for it later, what we thought was plenty good for us now. And sometimes the spirit of God can help us if we'll let it see clearly with God's presence you don't need more. Aren't you satisfied with me here? Why do you keep needing more, 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 more? But if we don't live with a clear vision of God's presence, His grace, we end up needing His mercy. All of us need mercy at some point, but wouldn't it be nice if we needed it a little less often? Wouldn't it be nice if we could see more clearly? When we see more clearly, we can act more purposefully. When we see more clearly, we can act more purposefully with what we're doing, with the presence of God. And when we see most clearly, we can stop looking for God's presence and start looking through God's presence. It's our contact lens. We can stop saying, where's God around here? No, God is here. What's he doing? I don't, have to look, uh, I don't want to look for God's presence in my family's life. I want to say, I know God's present in my family's life. What's he doing? I want to be a part of it. I don't want to look at the church and say, where's, where's God's presence? I want to say, no, God is here. What is he doing? How do I don't want to be a part of it. I don't want to look for God's presence at work. I want to go in with eyes of faith. He is here. He is working. He is doing something. He wants to do something with me. He has work for my hands to do. There is a way for me to glorify him today. What is it? So when we see most clearly, we start looking through the eyes of his presence as the lens with which we see all of the world. You see, all the shepherds saw that night with their physical eyes and spiritual eyes. But with their physical eyes, first and foremost, was what David had already seen with his spiritual eyes. Psalm 103, David wrote it perhaps on the hills of Bethlehem when he was a shepherd boy, says this, bless the Lord, you his angels, you mighty ones who do his word, obeying the voice of the Lord. He wrote that as a little boy shepherding on the hills of Bethlehem. These hills, being a shepherd, that lowly job of that time. Uh, Then it says, bless the Lord, all his hosts, the same word in the Septuagint, that's the Greek version of the Old Testament is used, that is used here in Luke chapter 2, this multitude of armies, David saw them. Bless the Lord, all his works, verse 22, and all his places of dominion, that's what we're singing about, his dominion, his lordship, his reigning. Bless the Lord, oh my soul, all the shepherds saw was what David had already seen with eyes of faith. Maybe you need to go to CVS this week and buy one of these extra. Take it with you to work. Stick it on your desk. And every time you see it, tell yourself, God's here. What's he doing? The next most important thing I think this passage tells us, I can do it a little more briefly than that one, is this. God wants to shape us In our forgotten seasons. That's what he wants to do. This text is full of forgotten people in a forgotten town. These shepherds are in a forgotten profession. Nobody thinks about the shepherds. They just eat the meat. God wants to shape us in those seasons. Are you in a forgotten season? Let me rattle through some symptoms of a forgotten season. And you can self-diagnose. Your position is beneath your gifting. Have you felt that way? I got more in me. I can do more than this. Do they not see me? Don't they see what I have to offer? Why am I doing this? Do you feel like your position is beneath your gifting? Maybe you're in a forgotten season. Pick these back up and read that season right. Uh, Number two, your, your best work goes unnoticed. You do something fantastic and nobody says something. You really kill it one day and nobody even mumbles a word. You get something just right. Nobody appreciates it but you. You pour your soul out into it and nothing comes back to you uh, from anybody else. Maybe you're in a forgotten season or you are replaceable. You feel that way. You know why you feel that way? Because you are. That's the hard thing about being human. It's hard for us to get to in our, in our ego. We don't want to be replaceable. That doesn't mean that God doesn't hold us in a special place in his heart. That doesn't mean that we aren't loved deeply. That doesn't mean that we don't offer something unique to the world, but just guess what? We're replaceable. There's only one who's not replaceable. There's only one irreplaceable one, and that is the king of glory. That spot's already taken. That throne's already taken. Somebody else could preach today. Boy, I see a bunch of people going preach today. It just happens to be me. Take me out, put somebody else in, you'll forget about me. You should. My life is not here to be remembered. My life is here to glorify God. And if I glorify God and I point to Him, I'm done. If you remember Him and you forget me, that's great. Praise the Lord. If you remember me and you forget Him, I've failed. And I mean that. It's Him. If you feel replaceable, just maybe, just maybe you're in a forgotten season. Do you feel unknown? Nobody knows your name. Nobody mentions you. When somebody tells the story of the company, your name isn't there. When somebody tells the story of the ministry, your name isn't there. When somebody tells the story of your town, you've done so much for this town, your name isn't there. Or how about this? What you do just doesn't seem to matter. Don't you think shepherds sometimes feel that way in the middle of the night with an enclosed pen and his sheep already there? Maybe what I'm doing doesn't matter. Let me ask you this, a question for you if you're in a forgotten season. What is the outline of your character during your forgotten season? You see, God took David... And found someone who the outline of his character, the shadow of his character, pointed to Christ. And he said, that one is pointing to Christ in that way. Is that you? In your forgotten season, is the outline of your character matching the outline of Christ's character? If you had to take your character and step it into the shadow of Jesus Christ, would it fit well? What is the outline of your character during your forgotten season? I think you should ask that question today. And I think you should answer that question today. Then do this for me. Don't just ask that question, what is the outline of your character during your forgotten season? Do this. Once you've started to answer that, think about what Christ's character should be. What does Christ tell us he's like? What is the character of love? Love is patient, love is kind. Does not envy, it does not boast. It is not rude, it is not self-seeking. It keeps no record of wrongs, right? What is the character of love? Christ is love. What does he say in the Sermon on the Mount? Are you being a peacemaker? Are you meek? Are you suffering things righteously? Fill in the character of Christ. Do it this way. Think of it this way. Stack up your silhouette moments this week. Tomorrow morning when you go to work, look for a silhouette moment. Say, how can I be like Christ? I want to be the silhouette of Christ here in my workplace. How can I do that today? Start stacking them up. Doesn't matter if anybody notices yet. Stack them up. God's trying to shape you there. He's got you in the back door of his workshop. You don't take your masterpiece and present it before it's ready. You keep it hidden. You don't show it yet. It's not quite ready yet. Maybe if you're still in the workshop, you're not quite ready yet. We sang it today. We're getting ready. We're getting ready. Not we are ready. We're getting ready. We're getting ready for your presence. We're getting ready for your coming. We're getting ready for what you want to do to us. Lord, if I'm in a forgotten season, have mercy on me. Give me the grace to see what you're doing in my life so I can be a part of it. I want to fill your silhouette with the glory of God. I want to point to you, Jesus, in everything I do. On the forgotten hills of the dark night of my nobody, nowhere Bethlehem, let me point to Jesus. What if we had a silhouette of Christ? Think about this question with me today. What if we had a silhouette of Jesus Christ in every profession? Lawyers and doctors, teachers and nurses, plumbers and factory workers, electricians, sanitation workers. Uh, civic servants, coaches, and athletes, what if we had a silhouette of Christ in every profession, in every business, in every workplace, on every block of this great city? What if everywhere you looked, there was someone from this church? What if there was someone from Bethel, from this church, the house of the presence of God, Bethel, house of God? What if we didn't have Bethel just here? We took Bethel with us everywhere we went. What if everywhere, in every part of this city, there was a silhouette of Jesus Christ in a forgotten place, doing forgotten work. Maybe you feel like a nobody doing nothing, but you're pointing to Jesus Christ in everything you do. What would that do here? I know what it would do here. Someday, in God's own time, and his own choosing, in his own way, it'll be a unique way, he will open heaven up And we will see the glory of God. And we will see the glory of God here, here, doing things only God can do through us. Isn't that worth living for? Tell me, that isn't worth living for. Would you stand with me as we close? Would you enter into an attitude of prayer? Enter into an attitude of prayer back in your homes. Please don't just walk away and grab a cup of coffee. Just a few moments more. Here, don't just pack up to leave. Uh, bow your heads, close your eyes, focus in on God. Are you in a forgotten season? He's the king of the forgotten. Are you a nobody, nowhere, feeling like you're doing nothing? Anybody's ever going to see? He's the king of the nobodies. He was a nobody. who he was. He came from all of his glory to be a nobody so that in all of our nobodiness we would feel like we are who we actually are, children of the God of the universe, princes and princesses of the kingdom of God. Are you in a forgotten season? Pray that if that's you, would you just lift your hands out to God turn them upward just in front of you like cupped hands ready to receive something if you feel like God is speaking to you today about that hold your hands out to him at home here in the sanctuary just hold them out in front of you palms turned upward as if you're ready to receive Lord ask him this Lord what do you have for these hands to do What do you want these two hands to do? Offer them to Him right now in front of you, uh, like an offering, like a sacrifice. Lord, what do you have for these two hands to do? I want to do it, no matter how small it seems. Pray that to Him in your own way. And maybe this is the first time you've even prayed this way. You might find yourself on your couch thinking, what in the world am I doing with my hands out in front of me? Nutcase, that's okay, do it anyway. (laughs) And if it's your first time praying this way, say, Lord, I want you to be the Lord of these hands and the Lord of this life. From this day forward, you're my king. I don't know why I'm even doing this, but if you'll help me do it, I will. Forgive my sinful things I've done with these hands. Give me good things to do with these hands. Fill me with your spirit so that I can do what only you can do through me. Pray that to him even now. In a moment, we're just gonna sing a song, and if you feel like you need to lay something on the altar down here, I encourage you to come do that. You can do that. You can kneel here. You can pray. You can make an altar in your living room. You can turn around from that couch and put your hands down on the couch. You can become an example to your children today, something they never thought they would see come from you. It could shock them. Shock them. Do it. Make it a sanctuary. Make this place a sanctuary. I don't know what you need to do, but you do. Now ask the Lord this before we sing, and you do what you need to do to respond to God. Say, Lord, show me something. And pay attention to what comes to your mind, what you might need to do. There's work for you to do. There's places for you to glorify Him. What is it? Pay attention to what comes. And then ask Him to show you a face. The shepherds went glorifying and praising God. They didn't keep it to themselves. They told someone else. Is there someone you need to tell about what's going on in your life right now? What decision you're making right now? What shift you're making in your soul? Let that face come to mind. When it does... That's God's way of telling you to go talk to that one and don't you fail to do it. Listen to him. Worship him as we sing.
0: you after the preachers done such a great job but whatever your head bowed and every eye closed if you feel like you're in a forgotten season on three i'm gonna say three i'm gonna say one two three and i just want you to put your hand up and put it down if you feel like you're in a forgotten season one two three i see all of those hands i see all of those hands See, you may be in the forgotten seasons how you feel but it's not how God feels about you God never forgot the shepherds God never forgot Mary he never forgets anyone the eyes of the Lord are upon you you're in the right place little Zoe his daughter may have been in a forgotten uh, to her parents but she wasn't forgotten by God she was in the house of God could be in your what seems to be forgotten season in your Bethlehem you're in the right place doing the right work because he hadn't forgotten you Lord I just pray for all of those hands that went up today may we not carry the burden we feel when we know we're forgotten may you release us from the pain of it from the ambiguity that comes with it, from the uncertainty, from the insecurity. And we may find more purpose because we know that, God, that that you who begin the work know how to complete the work in us. God, give us to understand that we're significant when we're on the backside of the desert or when we're in the wilderness place with just a building or a field place, God, with nothing around us. You see us. And you're going to give us an experience that can be a benefit to so many people, Lord. We're asking that you would bless us as leave this place today. Keep us in the center of your will, and as the apple of your eye. We'll continue to give you praise for all things in Jesus' name. Amen. Won't you give God a hand clap of praise? Hallelujah. If you have any specific prayer needs.